Shurana and welcome to the World in Sport on RNZ Pacific. I'm Kuroi Hawkins. Coming up, despite some spirited performances, Pacific teams are set to bow out of the Rugby World Cup. Japan's Samoan-born midfielder Tim Lafaele reflects on a special match against the Manu and we catch up with the chief executive of Vanuatu Cricket off the back of a successful bilateral campaign against Malaysia. Despite some spirited performances, the Pacific Island teams are about to bow out of the Rugby World Cup in Japan. There were high hopes going into the competition that either Fiji, Samoa or Tonga would be able to make it out of the group stages. But as reporter Vinnie Wiley told me from Japan, it has been a disappointing World Cup for the Pacific Minnows. Yeah, there was obviously hope that uh, teams would, you know, uh, push and um, possibly make it through to the quarterfinals. But, uh, you know, for Fiji, they lost to Uruguay. Um, you know, that basically kind of ruined it quite early on. And even though they had a good win over Georgia, um, you know, they they now need sort of other results to go their way as well as uh, themselves to have some wins to, to have any shot at making it that far. Samoa, they lost to Japan, they lost to Scotland, and, and those are the two games that they probably had to win. Um, so that's them done. Uh, obviously with a game against Ireland still to play. Uh, and then from Tonga's perspective, the pool of death, uh, they've lost to England, they've lost to uh, Argentina, and, and, and they've lost to France. So um, they'll be expected to, to beat the USA in their final game, but but obviously they won't um, go any further in the tournament. Uh, now, of course, if you finish third in the group, you, you, you still, you'd qualify automatically for the 2023 World Cup. So in that sense, there is still something to play for for these teams. Uh, Samoa can't reach that mark. I don't think Tonga can either. And uh, so, so yeah, Fiji are the only ones that um, you know could qualify third. Um, but yeah, so I guess it's been a bit of a, a frustrating sort of tournament in that regard. Um, Fiji especially, you know, there were high hopes they could make it. Uh, Samoa had quite an interesting group because um, there were sort of four teams that were there or thereabouts. But um, and of course there was that upset when Japan beat Ireland. But um, yeah, it's just it's, I guess the feeling has just kind of been sort of. Oh, well, um, and just a bit of disappointment, I guess, over here in Japan. Yeah, you've been talking to players and coaches and watching the games. Is there much talk about that that gap between the, the Tier 1 teams and the Pacific teams? Um, not in talent, obviously, but just in terms of funding and, and the programs and the international matches. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, the, the questions being asked now are what can be done to, to try and close that gap? And... Uh, Samoa, their coach Steve Jackson, said that there needs to be changes to the eligibility laws. Uh, so many players that have Samoan heritage, uh, but you know, may have already played for the All Blacks or somebody else, you know, a few test matches, um, that would like to play for Samoa if given the opportunity. Um, but obviously, currently it's one country for life. So uh, you play for one country, and that's your lot. So um, they feel there needs to be a loosening of those laws, which would um, I guess open up the the talent pool and give them access to new players, which would make them more competitive. Um, from uh, Tonga's point of view, they talked about more test matches. You know, they just played four games in a row against Tier One teams, and every week from the All Blacks to England uh, to Argentina, then France, every week that margin got closer. You know, they they considered a heap of points against the All Blacks before the World Cup. And then the other day, they only lost by two against France. And, and many thought, you know, 
they were going to do it at the end. So that shows the progress they've made. And you just, you know, just a few more dollars um, and a few more regular matches against uh, top teams, and and they believe that you know they could, you know, develop leaps and bounds. Looking forward to the quarters, uh, South Africa through now. Who else are uh, uh, looking likely, and how are the matchups looking? Is probably still too early for a lot of that, but yeah. Well, I mean, uh, Pool A, that's probably one of the more interesting ones. You've got. Uh, Ireland, Samoa at the weekend. Uh, Ireland still need to win that, obviously, to, to guarantee their spot. Um, and then Scotland, Japan is going to be a blockbuster as well on, on Sunday, I think it is. So um, both of those teams possibly need to win the game. Uh, to, will need to win to be sure. Um, so plenty on the line there, of course. Japan's win over Ireland. Uh, they've won three in a row. But, but, you know, they could still miss out if they lose. So it's uh, plenty to play for in that regard. Uh um, Paul B, the All Blacks of Africa, um, you know, ticking along three from three, three from three. So, um, no, re- oh, sorry, the All Blacks three from three. Uh, South Africa, of course, lost to New Zealand, but um, uh, All Blacks expected to beat Italy, and, and that would put them through um, as top qualifiers in the group. Uh, Paul C, that pool of death, England, France have both won all their games, and they'll play off to, to decide who's top of the group. Uh, and that would give them a likely um, quarterfinal against uh, either probably the Wallabies at second place. Um, Wales, of course, um, you know, they have um, had that win over Australia, so that's put them in a strong position in, in Pool D. So I think the the biggest outsider to make the quarters is, is looking like hopefully it'll be Japan, which I think for the tournament here, host nation would be obviously fantastic, and, and, and they've played so well, and uh, yeah, it would be a real travesty if Japan weren't able to to make it through to the quarters. I think. Yeah, you're about wrapping up your your time in Japan for us. How's the experience been? Oh, yeah, it's been very good. Uh, the World Cup itself has been run, you know, superbly. Uh, locals have really got behind it. You know, you're walking, you're walking, you know, down the street, and and people give you sort of high fives. You know, sort of volunteers. Uh, Really enthusiastic. Um, you know, the transport here is is fantastic to get to games. Um, and you know, for a country that is not a traditional rugby country, and it's the first time the World Cup's been held in a, a non sort of traditional rugby country, um, they, they really have uh, seemed to enjoy and uh, embrace this tournament and and this sport. And clearly, a big part of that is how well Japan, the Brave Blossoms, have done. Um, under New Zealand coach Jamie Joseph and, and Tony Brown. Um, you know, they beat South Africa four years ago, and we've clearly seen now the progress four years on. Um, and, and who knows how many uh, Japanese that, that they can inspire to, to take up the game in years to come. So, um, no, yeah, it's been it's been really good. I guess just from that Pacific Island perspective, disappointing um, that the results weren't what people had hoped for. Um, but... But yeah, yeah, you, you, you move on and you, and you try and find a way where you can get something out of it or or, or learn for the future. Vinnie Wiley in Japan. Despite the Pacific Island teams preparing to exit the competition, there is no shortage of Pacific talent in the team still at the Rugby World Cup. Last weekend, Samoa-born Japanese midfielder Tim Lafaele got to play what he calls a special match against Manu Samoa. Lafaele had played 20 test matches prior to last weekend, playing against England, France, Ireland, the Wallabies, the Springboks and even scored two tries against the All Blacks. But he told reporter Vinnie Wiley he was a little nervous going up against the Manu. 
I think I was a bit too keen at the beginning. I was a bit nervous, so I slowly got into the game well. So. A try settled the nerves, perhaps? Yeah, they definitely uh, settled the nerves, but yeah, our forwards are picked up in the second half, so, which was good. It was a very tense start. You guys were, you know, the first five minutes looked like you were going to score, or I think uh, Henry Taifu made a pretty crucial tackle there, which saved the try, and, and then it was 6-all, and, and obviously the card. What was the sort of feelings going for the game? It was a bit of an arm wrestle, and then obviously you guys finished pretty strongly. Yeah, I mean, uh, Samoa was uh, pretty, pretty strong today. In the first half, we tried to do a, like a kicking game plan, try to tie them out, but they hung in there and they came strong at us. So. And for you guys, this whole experience, this World Cup, you know, the, the first game, and then, of course, Ireland, and now this year, you're ever close now to that quarterfinal. Uh, what's what's it like for you guys in the camp, living in this crazy bubble, this experience? Oh, man, the boys are happy to get these wins. And behind the support of the country, it's, it's awesome. But for us, every week is uh, after the game's done, we're back at zero. So we start preparing for the next game. Well, was you know the first game is the first game. Ireland was Ireland, and then this one for you, obviously with your connection. Uh, what, what were the family saying to you during the week? Oh, my family was just uh, sending messages of support and just enjoy the moment. Did you have any family in the crowd? Yeah, I had a heaps of family and a couple of friends came over from New Zealand. What, what colour jersey were they wearing? Oh, the red jersey. <laughs> <laughs> you managed to convert them over. Oh yeah, man. Uh, my my family ever since I played for Japan, they've been uh, behind me 100%. So. And um, you know, there's a lot of Tongans in the team, uh, a lot of Tongans in Japan. Um, how, as a Samoan, have uh, the people of Japan embraced you since you've been here and obviously played for the country? What's that experience been like? Oh, it's been awesome. Eh? Uh, the people have uh, gotten behind us, especially the Polynesian boys as well. Uh, ever since uh, we came here for university, uh, they've uh, been really supportive and helped uh, helped us along our journey. When did you first move here? Uh, straight out of high school. For university, so, so well, you're, what are you now? 28? 28, oh, sorry, 10 years ago. 10 years ago, so uh, it goes pretty quick. Yeah, pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, so. you, you definitely feel like a Japanese man now. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm loving the culture and everything that has to do with the culture here now, so similar to the Samoan culture as well. And, and since, since you've you know, been here, I guess you would have seen how Japanese rugby has developed, you know, from a tier two country similar to Samoa to obviously this level you've got yourselves to. It must be quite an incredible thing to witness and now be a part of. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, like finally, uh, our team's getting the recognition that, that we deserve. Like, we've been working hard the last couple of years and uh, the world uh, gets to see uh, how we play and the style of footy that we're playing as well. Japanese midfielder Tim Lavaile. Vanuatu cricketers are still on a high after completing a successful bilateral T20 campaign against Malaysia earlier this month. The Pacific Islanders dominated their Asian hosts 4-1 in the international bilateral series. Ben Robinson Drawbridge asked the chief executive of Vanuatu cricket, Shane Dietz, if he was surprised they did so well in Malaysia. We weren't really surprised. I don't know how the rankings work for ICC, but... Now we're ranked 29 and 50 over cricket, and we're ranked 59 in uh, 50 over cricket. We're ranked 29, and which is the harder format. And T20, we're ranked 59. So interesting rankings, but now we played really well, and you know, we're happy with the result. I just had a quick flick through the the scorecards from the five games, and I noticed a, a big ton there from Patrick Matautava in the. And the second game, that guy's brilliant, isn't he? He can bat, he can bowl, is anything he can't do? Um, not really. Um, probably speak in front of the group. <laughs> he's a very quiet guy, but no, he's fantastic. He's probably one of the best fielders in world cricket too on top of that. So he's a great player. Um, you know, challenge for him is to be consistent all the time, but 
we, we demand a lot for him, so he's got a lot a huge workload. But he is a world class player, and he really deserves an opportunity to be looked at at some of the T Twenty leagues around the world because he's definitely good enough in in you know, batting, bowling, and fielding. Were there any other players that you, you care to single out from the series victory? Yeah, well, Joshua Russell, opening batsman, got two Man of the Match awards. He made, I think it was a 70 in one of the games and a, probably another high score, 40. Um, and player of the series was actually Nala Nitiko, all-rounder, who did some great performances with bat and ball as well. So definitely not a one-man team. Pat had... Uh, 150. Uh, besides that, he probably didn't contribute a lot. Um, those other two boys really stepped up and performed well as well. Now, I know there was a bit of disappointment prior to the bilateral from the, the Challenge League thing. So what was it that made the team perform so well in the series? Yeah, well, we, yeah, it was a tough league, the Challenge League. Canada, who recently World Cup's a world-class team. Um, so that was always going to be a challenge. There was also two grounds used in the 50-over competition, and one suits our style of play a lot more than the other one. Um, it was very slow, poppy sort of grass wicket, and we we're coming off cement wickets. So that that facility didn't help us. We played three of the five games there, so that was that was an ideal. Um, can't make excuses, you've got to adapt, but that was definitely a contributing factor for, for those results. Um, and the number one ground, which is a world-class ground and pitch, and we replayed the T20s, uh, definitely suits our, our style of play and um, is a bit more more similar to a sort of a concrete wicket, pretty flat and good batting surface, no variable bounce. So that was definitely a contributing factor. And the fact that probably T20 is an easier format for us. We've just come off a lot of T20 cricket. So a few of those factors probably contributed to those results. Okay, so conditions were in your favour, but were you with the team? Did you notice a sentiment amongst the players that they were there to do the business? Yeah, we're pretty good throughout the whole time. You know, cricket's a funny game, and when you play those formats, we've got so many games and so many days, you just need to get a bit of momentum, and once you get that momentum, then you can actually win some games on the bounce, so... We didn't get our momentum early, and when we did get it, we uh, yeah we played really good cricket from then on in. So we, yeah, we beat Malaysia in the over competition, and then the next game we should have won um, against Qatar, and after that we were, we were playing really good cricket. So we just kept that momentum into the T20s, and yeah, we, we probably should have won every game in the T20s, to be, to be honest. But yeah, after that we played good cricket. So you know, those two was about getting momentum. Um, in such a short period of time. So we, once we got that, we, we really used it to our advantage. Okay, so to the future then, and what's next for the team? When will they next come together? Yeah, we um, we play our next 50-over comp again, which we just, uh, round two of the one we just completed in, looks like to be March, also in Malaysia. So we're back doing that again, and we'll have some T20s after that again. And then our World Cup T20 qualifiers will be held to be confirmed, but in Vanuatu in May. So we're looking forward to hosting PNG, Samoa, Fiji, and the Cook Islands in May in Vanuatu and having a fantastic, exciting T20 competition then.
In the meantime, I see that there is a new hybrid pitch in Vanuatu for the blokes to practice on. What's a hybrid pitch? A hybrid pitch is more like a grass turf style pitch, which we don't have, and it's a big disadvantage because we play around the world on, you know, on turf grass pitches. So this is some new technology come out of Brisbane. Um, there's some of these pitches in, in Australia at the Centre of Excellence in uh, Dubai at the Academy and a few other places in Australia. So basically, it has artificial grass through it, which replicates the natural grass on a normal pitch. And then you roll uh, cricket soil into it, um, which we got our soil from the SCG. So you roll that and prepare it like a normal turf pitch. It plays like a normal turf grass pitch, US spike. So it's just a, a cost factor a lot less than putting in a whole turf block. So... It's cost-effective and it will give us the practice and performance that we're looking for to develop our players to travel the world and play in different conditions. SCG soil, does that mean it's going to be a turning wicket? Well, it's actually, you can, you can prepare it any way you want. Um, you know, if you look at the SCG the last few years, you know, when it's actually had a bit of pace and bounce in it the first few days. So as we, we won't be playing five-day cricket, so it won't break up as much, but you can prepare it to be a real turning pitch to replicate some of the wickets we play in in Asia in particular, but also you can prepare it to have pace and bounce to replicate you know, more of a, like a hard Australian condition, so this is going to give us an advantage to prepare our players, as say, to travel the world and play in different conditions, and that's part of our high-performance plan, so Looking forward to utilising that more and uh, yeah, and also inviting teams from New Zealand and Australia and anywhere in the world to come to Vanuatu and play on, a, play on a good pitch and give our players some international more experience at home. Will they need some cricket together before March? Do you think they'll get that? We definitely will. Um, we'll probably have to go to Australia or somewhere for a week or two to prepare for Malaysia. Uh, a few of our players will hopefully come over to also play some club cricket, which we're trying to finalise some deals now. But that's quite hard with the uh, with um, visas, etc. But that's the idea. And then moving forward in the future, yeah, we're really opening up cricket tourism to come to Vanuatu. Teams, say from all over the world, our major sponsors the Holiday Inn, which is a beautiful resort right next to the ground. So we're looking to yeah get get that moving and bring lots of teams over so we can have lots of proper international cricket in Vanuatu and grow the game even further. The Chief Executive of Vanuatu Cricket, Shane Dietz. Wrapping up our program of World in Sport from RNZ Pacific, I'm Koroi Hawkins. Thanks for joining us. Until next week, tofa.